0: Hey, everybody. This is Mike Van Meter and welcome to the Recovery is Possible podcast. And I want to thank you for joining me. You can reach us at our Facebook site, which is also called Recovery is Possible, or our website, which is vanmeterwellnesssolutions.com. And this podcast exists to educate the public about addiction, remove the stigma associated with addiction, and offer help and support to those suffering from addiction. And this episode is sponsored by FHE Health, a substance abuse and mental health treatment center specializing in treatment for first responders' needs, including PTSD, anxiety, and substance use. Take the first steps to a better life today by visiting FHEHealth.com. And folks, uh, today I've got Buddy C. coming in, and he's from Atlanta, Georgia. And he's going to give us his qualification, meaning his sobriety date and um, the the work that he's involved in. And I'm not going to steal his thunder because I want you to hear his story uh, from him, because that's you know that's it's his story to tell, and he's going to take us on a journey to really looking at what he is using for a higher power or the path that he has taken uh, regarding his higher power. And I was just talking to Buddy a little while ago before we came on the show about how I just spent uh, the last year working in a treatment center, a twenty-eight day treatment uh, treatment center, and you know. A large number of the patients that came in really struggled with the idea of a higher power. And if you're new to recovery, what we mean by that is you. one of the things you're going to find in recovery is that you need to find a power outside of yourself. And sounds kind of like an easy concept. Well, apparently it's not because lots and lots of people struggle with the idea of a higher power. But it is something that is very important, a concept that is very important to have in recovery. Now, that path and that journey is going to be different for different people, and Buddy's going to talk about you know the path that he took, and Buddy had reached out to me uh, discussing the podcast, and he has sort of an, an interesting approach that uh, may be for you, uh, may not be for you. You know, no one's telling you in recovery what you should or shouldn't do or what you should or shouldn't believe. But what we do want to do is open our minds to uh, what works for other people. And that's really what it is. All I have in my recovery is my sobriety. And all I can do for you is explain what worked for me. Um, Now, of course, you know, I've gone into uh, the graduate uh, work that I've gone into, and we we look at studies, and we look at the data, we look at all the research that's available to us. But you know, ultimately, we present information, and then you make your own choice. And Buddy's going to talk to us about the path that he took. So, with that, I want to introduce you to Buddy C.
1: Thank you, Mike, for having me, um, uh, Buddy C. I am an alcoholic. Uh, my sobriety date's eleven ten oh eight, uh, but that is not the first time that. I uh, sought sobriety through AA. I had been coming to AA since 02, Uh and I just could not get it. I was that guy that was, uh, you know, in and out a week, a month, six months. Um, I was a successful businessman, had a thriving business with, you know, the lake house, the new suburban, the two kids and the wife, all the things. But I could not stop drinking. I could not figure it out. Uh, to qualify a little, I'll go back before then. Uh, I was uh, I started drinking heavy actually in my late 20s, early 30s, uh, as a way to uh, handle stress from business and how to uh, how to relieve that. And it just You know, we we say we have a drink, the drink has a drink, and the drink has you. Well, the drink had me very quickly, uh, and I was drinking daily, and being that I worked from home most of the time, uh, I got to where I was drinking 24-7 in no time. Time went on, Um, and and all this time I was going to church, I had uh, a real experience with God in my early teens uh which continued through my teens on up into my twenties. Um uh, but uh but that did not help when I had real I, I did not know real connection. I had some connection, but it was not enough when when things were really difficult because I thought I understood God and things weren't happening happening the way they were supposed to for me. You know it was supposed to be uh an easy ride because I was checking off all the boxes, but it was not an easy ride. So, uh, I was questioning those things all that time. And then when I got into recovery, Oh, in that gap there, after I started drinking heavy, I started putting on weight. So I I went on the Atkins diet, which is the only diet I could figure out that I could still drink my 90 proof Smirnoff and lose weight on the diet. So, uh, so that's the diet. I switched my mixer from, uh, uh from orange juice or grapefruit juice to crystal light lemonade, okay? So I cut out all sugar other than my vodka. Could not cut my vodka out, did not plan on doing that. And then uh, one day I woke up and I had a bad stomach pain and I had pancreatitis. Lost 90% of my pancreas, was on a ventilator, uh, told my wife I had a 50-50 chance of living to go pick out my pallbearers, uh, and I survived. I was in the hospital for, well, a number of weeks lost 60 pounds in the process. So I was down to 133 pounds. Uh, and I came out and within, Oh, a couple of months I was drinking again. I just could not stop. And like I said, I eventually ended up in AA. Um, uh, and I still could not stop. And what happened was I had to really come to the point of suicide, quite honestly. Um, uh, and I, uh, I finally got to a point where I said, okay, either this works or it doesn't. Uh, God, either this is or it isn't. Uh, If this doesn't work, I'm out of here. And the craving left immediately. And I was like, is this all it took? Basically, I needed all of that time to learn how to surrender. So I saw myself surrender, but yet I did not know really how it happened other than I just let go and quit trying. and But that wasn't enough for me. I had to really start looking at, uh, you know, what am I lacking spiritually? And I realized that all of my teaching I'd had to that point in uh, Christianity was lacking something. And I did not know what that was because when I came in, like I said, there were folks that uh, were getting recovery that did not qualify for recovery. Uh, they got, should not have been doing anything for them because they could not check off the proper boxes. Uh, and so I had to be very open-minded and come at uh, recovery from uh, a position of not knowing. So I started looking at different philosophies uh, to see if it would help me with this. I looked at uh, all the Gnostic readings, All of the I read the Nag Hammadi through, Uh, I read, started looking at other books and other teachings. I started looking at Buddhism and looking at, uh, uh, I knew of Taoism, but I didn't know much about it. And I came across a painting. It's called the vinegar tasters. And it's a metaphorical meeting between, uh, Confucius, Lao Tzu, who is the, contributed with the writing the Tao Te Ching, which is the basic text, Taoist text, uh, and buddha and the three had a had a meeting where at that time they did a lot of uh vinegar tasting they had vinegar tastings where people would get together and taste and give their opinion on because they use vinegar a lot for a lot of medicinal reasons and and in a lot of things so uh, they had a vinegar tasting uh confucius tasted the vinegar and the confucius teachings are a lot like proverbs uh in the bible um, so you know he tasted and he his response was why well, should you know anyone want to taste this? It tastes bad. Uh, Buddha tasted the vinegar, and he said, you know, we we suffer because of our attachment to wanting things to taste good, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Lao Tzu tasted the vinegar, and he smiled, he said, it's vinegar. It's how it's supposed to taste. Uh, Why are y'all upset about everything? You know, and I thought, that's it. That's acceptance. So when I saw that, I said, hmm, I need to start looking at different Taoist texts if they're showing acceptance maybe that's something that will help me because acceptance in recovery is so huge uh, and we have a lot of acceptance teaching and we use those uh the acceptance uh story with uh, the pages 417 through 420 we just wear out uh in in meetings all the time so uh i said hmm, let me look at this a little closer uh so i started reading the Tao de ching which is 81 verses it's the basic Taoist text. Now, I still have Christian beliefs. Uh, all of this just added to my idea of what, uh, what God is, is God being loved. It just added to my ability to accept my day and my moment for what it is. So I started reading these um, and liked them. They resonated with me. I really, you know, I said, hmm, that really makes sense to me. So we started having an online recovery meeting in a recovery group. I was involved uh, studying these texts, and we would take one verse a week, and that would be our topic for the week. And we'd read through and look at it and talk about it. Uh, As time went on, we did that for several years. Then the pandemic came along, uh, and I thought, hmm, I wonder if I could take these 81 verses that we've studied over and over uh, and just write, not a, not a translation, but an interpretation of what they would mean to me in my recovery. So I sat down and started writing and, and went through all 81 of the verses, and uh, that's how we got here. I, I published the book last August. Uh, I do offer a free PDF to anyone who would like a copy of the PDF. They can go to buddyc.org. Uh, they can also get a sample of the different verses there. I have several of the verses on the on the homepage. And there's also on the homepage, there's uh, there's a couple of, of menus there you might want to look at. There's a resources, has a lot of recovery resources. And then there's a daily devotion they may want to sign up for. And I take one uh, Taoist quote and I put a thought with it and an affirmation. So uh, that's how we got here, Mike. Any questions?
0: No, and... You know, surrender really is the the important thing to all of this. And one of the, and buddy, and I'll just get your thoughts on this. One of the weird things about addiction and it's not just alcohol or drugs, it, it could be any addiction, is this idea of surrender. And when you're, people, you're a person like myself, where if if you know my background, you know my professional background, I was trained at a very early age to not give into anything, that whatever the obstacle is, you can overcome the obstacle. There are no limits to what you can do. This idea that you can overcome any difficulty In my line of work, that's a great thing to have. In fact, it's a a necessary thing to have. But if you are an addict or an alcoholic, it's a, a death sentence. Because the weird thing about addiction is it's the one thing that you cannot defeat of your own willpower. And so when Buddy, you know, you mentioned uh, page 417, and, and for those that may not be aware of that he's talking about four, page 417 of the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, that's the basic text of Alcoholics Anonymous, uh, it talks about this idea of acceptance of your disease, acceptance of your alcohol, in this case, alcohol, and really just surrendering to it. And the weird thing is that this is the one thing in your life that you defeat by giving up, and you defeat by not fighting it. It's a weird thing. You, you don't fight it. You just give in to the reality of what it is. And by doing that, you uh, overcome it. It's a weird concept. But it sounds like that's what you were struggling with, because I know that's what I was struggling with and and all the patients I work with. That's it. It's what can I do to defeat this? What can I do to control this? In fact, I just had a a young man reach out to me before I came on the air saying, hey, I'm drinking too much. What can I do to slow this down and regulate it? That was the question this person said (laughs) to me. And, you know, I hear you giggling because it's It's, there this, you know, first of all, Let's put it this way. If you've gotten to the point in your life, and, and if you're listening to this podcast, I want you to think about this. If you've gotten to the point to where you're having a discussion about how alcohol is a problem and that it needs to be regulated because it's a problem, well then by definition, it's a problem. And to regulate that thing that's causing problems in your life is something that that really, really needs to be addressed. Because normal social drinkers don't have those conversations. Just let exactly. that sink in for a minute. They don't even have, like my wife is not an alcoholic. She does not have conversations with me about how she needs to regulate her drinking, right? If you need to regulate it, it's probably because either you're having that conversation with yourself or more likely someone else is having that conversation with you. So anyway, buddy, maybe just some thoughts on that because I think that's the heart of what you're getting to. It really is, Mike.
1: I For me, the whole program is about surrender. Uh, and wh- what I heard in, in Taoist philosophy was things like, can you, and everything, this was written 2,500 years ago. So all the analogies are nature and water related. So can you allow the mud to settle in a turbid water? Can you allow the mud to settle so the right answers appear by themselves? I'm like, ah, oh, yeah, that's it. The whole idea for me in recovery is to step out of the way and allow it to happen. How do I step out of the way? How do I stop fighting anything and anyone? And if you want to know the ideas of Taoist philosophy in the big book, if you're, if you're in recovery and you use the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous, it's pages 85, 86, 87. Those are the pages that show that idea of ceasing to fight anything and anyone, even alcohol. It just comes that that whole idea is is Taoist in that we we have it's called Wu Wei. It's effortless effort, and it's not that there's no effort. It's what are you putting your effort in? And for me, when I came into recovery, and as I as I continued, I realized that uh, well, well, like working with other says, there's nothing that works. Uh, uh, I'm going to butcher the quote. But it says there's basically there's nothing that when you need to drink, when you have a craving, there's nothing that works like uh, as well as working intensive work with another alcoholic. It works when other activities fail. So the idea is not that you wait until you think you have it figured out to help someone. It's that uh, you start helping the moment you come into recovery. Now, of course, you know, if you're going out on talking to someone who's drinking, that kind of thing, you know, you, you would have someone with you. You, you have some guidelines there, but you come in and start helping immediately. If it's no more than welcoming people or sharing in a meeting uh, when there's a new guy that you have a month and he just came in, he wants to hear from the guy that has a month. He doesn't want to hear from the guy that's got 10 years or 20 years or 30 years because that's unattainable to him, but a month. Yes. So what we get, I get recovery by helping someone else. So, I had to take the focus off of myself and put my focus on who could I help. So if I prayed, it would not be God help me. It'd be God, who can I help? And then as I do that and get the focus off of me, I find myself taken care of. uh, And my effort is placed in helping others, not in helping myself. And that's the dichotomy and the paradox that I really find in recovery. And what the steps do for me yeah, the the steps get me out of the way. Uh, when I do my fourth and fifth step, uh, I'm acknowledging my fears and I'm learning how to surrender those fears that keep me bound so that I can't get out of my way. And then when I go on to my eighth and ninth steps, I'm doing the same thing with, with the people around me. I'm better. I'm mending those relationships. So it doesn't have to be about me. So I can look at people through a, through a filter of love and virtue instead of uh, just uh, being afraid of everything and everyone. Uh, and that's, that's the approach for me, and it is all about surrender. Uh, the whole program for me, surrender.
0: Yeah, I, I think that's that was true of me as well because something that you and I both share in our story is that recovery did not come easy. Um, it took a long, long time you know, for me to get into recovery, and it it did with you as well, and that's not uncommon. Um, You know, I really think that, you know, for me, I had to be one of those people that had to be driven to the bottom, you know, my, what was a bottom for me, a a bottom for me and a bottom for you may be different bottoms, but it was a bottom for me. And in our last episode of recovery Is possible, we had a lady come on and talked about high bottom, meaning, you know, you don't have to wait until you get to your bottom, you you can nip this in the bud, and if you can do that, that's fantastic, and that's <laughs> I would recommend that if you can. You know, you yes. don't ha- you don't have to suffer you know years and years of destruction in your life before you get well. But for many of us, that's exactly what happened. Um, and many of the patients that, that I work with now, that's exactly what happens, is this is something that must be driven to them to the very end, and and it's the, the surrender. So if you have someone like this individual that just reached out to me and said, hey, I think I'm drinking too much, what can I do to regulate that? And that's very common. You know, At the end of the day, most, uh, again, I'm talking alcohol here, but the same can apply to drugs or other issues, is the reality is we don't really want to get rid of alcohol. We just want to control alcohol and go back to the way that it was when we first started because addiction is a progressive and deadly disease progressive disease it gets gets worse over a period of time and what happens is we as alcoholics think well I want to go back to when it was fun I want to go back to when I could regulate it or when I could you know turn it on turn it off when I wanted to I want those days back the the idea of not drinking seems to not be an option for a lot of people in their mind. And and again, I'm not being critical because that was me too, but I want to get your take on that, buddy, and maybe kind of address that a little bit, this idea that the person wants to regulate rather than eliminate uh, their use.
1: When I came into recovery, that's exactly what I wanted, and it, I misread the steps. I thought the first step said that um, – I was uh, powerless over alcohol, that my drinking was unmanageable. I just read it that way. You know, I just, and it was years before I said, whoa, wait a minute. That doesn't say I, it says we, and then it says my life was unmanageable. Like, wait a minute. Is this, and I started looking, and the only steps that even mention alcohol are the first one and the 12th, and the 12th's about carrying the message to others. So uh, the the first step's the only one that's really talking about alcohol as in, an issue for us. And what we find is we have all, uh, for me, I had all of these fears that I drank and I had these resentments and, and I drank to forget those things. So the reason I was drinking, if you took away the alcohol, I would have still been miserable, absolutely miserable. So for me, the, uh, the alcohol was not the problem. It was just a symptom of the problem uh and metering my alcohol would not have solved my problem my problem was me it was not the alcohol i was just using the alcohol uh as a as a temporary fix that quit working um uh, so if you're wanting to i think that the whole idea of of uh throttling your alcohol controlling it uh for me, I, I was already past the point that that was possible. Like you said, when you start trying that, it's already too late for me. And I have other issues to deal with. So uh, what I recommend, even if I have a sponsee that is not able to get sober, let's say they're still drink occasionally. I go ahead and work through the steps with them. I don't, you know, some people, if they drink, they start over again because they obviously didn't get this. No, I, I don't. I don't see that. I think that is, and what the success I've had with working with sponsees is that we don't worry about the drinking. We just start working the steps. And what we find is as we work the steps, if they're sincerely worked, the need to drink goes away. Uh, And that's, for me, it was a need. And uh, it was a dependency. Uh, And once I worked through the steps, and once I learned how to surrender with that, um, it was uh, it was no longer an issue, and hasn't been an issue since.
0: Yeah, and that's an interesting concept because you know we do know, and we know this in the big book as well, but we also know it from the data in and working in hospitals that there's two things going on. This is causes and conditions, and this is a, a disease of the mind and the body. And we have to work on the mind part, and you just addressed that. But if you're if are drinking alcoholically right now, I do understand that there is a physical dependency as well. And that physical dependency has to, to be overcome. And do understand that, and this surprises a lot of people when we talk about this, that if you are somebody that has gotten to the point to where you're physically dependent on alcohol, and, and how would you know that? Well, if you're someone that when you stop drinking, you start going into a delirium tremens, maybe um, – the, the shaking, hallucinations, sweating, things, things along those having those physical symptoms, you're physically dependent, and you've got to be safely walked down from alcohol. So that's, that's an important concept to understand. So there is that physical dependency, and, and eventually, like to, to my friend that, that had wrote to me today, um, the problem with this is there's something about alcohol, when it gets put into our system, we start to crave it. When we don't have alcohol in our systems, we don't, I don't crave it today. Like I'm, you know, I've been sober for many years, buddy, you've been sober for many years. My body actually does not crave alcohol anymore. What's going to cause me to go out and drink today will be something else. It will be something that happens in my life, something so overwhelming that I feel like that I can't control it you know I, I can't deal with it and i want to escape that's the mental part will cause me to go back and then once i start drinking because i have this genetic uh, pre-uploading this genetic condition my body will start to crave it again and because of the genetic makeup that i have i will crave it in a way that your average person your non-alcoholic person does not crave it uh i mean does that make sense and kind of jive with where, where you're coming from as well buddy
1: yes it does uh and you know when I when I came into recovery, also, um, I thought that, and this has just been my experience, that uh, I had to believe God to do this for me because that's the way I'd been taught with everything in life. If I do the right things, I believe the right things, I can have the results. Okay, it starts with belief. And then the result, and then the actions come. Then I do the right things. But in recovery, it was a flip of that. What I realized was no matter what I thought, no matter what I believed, I had to take action first. It's like, you know, the, the saying of we act our way into right thinking instead of think our way into right acting. And what that meant for me was I had to go help someone. I had to pray for someone when I had a resentment. I had to get out of myself and take an action, and then the thinking followed the action. Uh, Very much like God being love. Okay, if God is love, God's an action, God's a verb. So I have to take the action of love. And when I do, uh, I change. I don't understand why. I don't understand how. But it happens. And it happens without my effort to change. My effort is in helping another. And it works with everything. When I was in business, I used to pray for my competitor's business. Uh, when, you know, if I have a relationship issue, I pray for that person, whatever it is that's going on. We learned that. Uh, big book would be the uh, 552 is the page that's mentioned a lot about that in the in the big book, Alcoholics Anonymous. But it, it really is about me taking action. And that's how I try to approach all of life. So if I have any issue at all, I go to taking action. Um, do you have a couple of minutes I could tell an acceptance story that I think might resonate? Absolutely. Some, yeah, please do. Okay. Um, we didn't discuss this before, uh, but I had a son pass away last summer.
0: He was Oh, my 25. God, I'm sorry. I'm sorry to Well, that. thank
1: you. Thank you. Uh, he was one of us. Uh, and I got a call. And they said that uh, he had a temperature of 109 and they were taking him to the hospital. Uh, And I showed up at the hospital. All of his organs are shutting down. Everything, uh, just everything, shutting down. He had dehydrated. Long story, but uh, in effect, he was dying. And he ended up living for a month after that. And he had brain damage and uh, his mom and I, we had decided that if there was, you know, brain damage that confirmed that we would turn off life support, but yet, you know, she couldn't do it. So, you know, I mean, it was just a mess. I mean, an absolute mess. And i just gotten back from a, I do a Zen meditation with the, the Zen Center in Atlanta. I'm not a Buddhist, but I enjoy meditating with them. I like the philosophy. So uh, i just gotten back from a three-day meditate silent meditation retreat on Sunday, and this happened on a Wednesday. So um, when I got to the hospital and and saw what was going on, I immediately started praying for the other family members. Uh, This is an ex-wife, so uh, immediately praying for her and their family and, and everyone else that they would find some peace and acceptance during this. And when I got home the next day, I got called in early that morning that he was dying and I needed to get there and he didn't die. And they transferred him to a Emory to a hospital in Atlanta that was much more uh, prepared to take care of him and much more capable. And when that happened, I went home and uh, I realized I had to get some acceptance with this. I had to get some peace with this. You know, an acceptance doesn't mean that I approve of what's going on. It just means that I accept things as they are in that moment uh, because I can't uh, look to change things like we say in the serenity prayer uh, until I can see things more clearly as they are because if I'm not seeing them clearly how can I change something I can't so I sat and meditated and sat with this for. it took a couple of hours actually and I sat with and I used two mantras with this uh, and neither one of these I learned in AA which is surprising I learned them both from my Zen friends uh, one was uh, a story of Sumno. She was a Buddhist nun uh, back years and years ago, very well known. And a man came to her and said, listen, I have a problem with anger. What can I do about it? She said, every time anything happens, good or bad, say, thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever. So he did this for a year. Then he came back and he said, listen, I haven't, nothing's changed. Everybody still makes me angry. And she said she looked at him and said, "Thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever." And then he realized it was about changing him, not the people around. Him. So I use that mantra: "Thank you for everything. I have no complaint whatsoever." And I use that over and over and over. And, and every time I used it, I got it got lighter and lighter and lighter. Now, I use the second one that is much more difficult than that one. And this one says, whatever the problem or issue that you're having, uh, and I'll say my son's medical condition in mine, I would not change Max's medical condition even if I could. And you're saying that from a place of no. You know, Your head is screaming, just like we learn on page 552 that in the big book, We pray for someone that we have a resentment against. Even if we don't mean it, it's empty words. We say it anyway. And within two weeks, we'll we'll come to mean it. Well, I sat with that and repeated that over and over. I would not change Max's medical condition, even if I could. Of course, I would if I could at first. And I kept saying that over and over. And with time, within the two hours, I got to a place of peace about it. And uh, that's the acceptance I'm talking about. Then over the next month, I went back and forth to Atlanta and I live, now I live two hours from Atlanta. And so I, back and forth, back and forth. You know, they called us in twice to pull life support because he was dying. Uh, And then it didn't happen. And then, you know, just over and over and over over the month, when I sat in that waiting room, I knew all the other people were there for some of the same reasons I was, so I started praying for those people. When uh, when it was bothering me, I prayed for each of the rooms in the ICU around the whole circle. You know, I would do that. I, I did all those things of giving, and that kept me whole during that time. I'm not saying it was easy because it was not, but learning acceptance uh kept me from uh, drinking. It kept me. From you know all you know it, it gave me enough peace that I was able to get through that 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 I would not I had not found any other way. So that's the results of this program and learning acceptance in my life.
0: man what a powerful story and it is difficult and another concept and we'll see where this concept you know fits into what you're practicing, is this idea that everything happens for a reason. That no meeting is by accident. You and I talking here today is not by accident. That everything has a purpose. Everything happens for a reason. The good, bad, the indifferent. And we don't always know what that reason is or why it's happening. But how does that fit into your story there? And and did that play into your acceptance? that? everything is the way that it was meant to be
1: I I don't entirely buy that quite honestly Mike just me just just quite honestly I but I do buy that it is as it is right now so uh, Byron Katie says that it should have happened because it did happen and I'm like okay and if it did happen then you've got to accept it as it is mm-hmm. right now it has nothing to do with whether it should be or whether you know it was you know uh it was meant to be this way or you don't even have to figure that out i don't have to ask why uh but what i have to do is accept in this moment it's interesting uh there's a there's a bible quote with that too that uh, they asked jesus why the man was born blind did he sin or his parents sin who sinned and Jesus' response was that you're asking the wrong question. You're asking why. You know, when I say it, it's meant to be or all that, I'm trying to place a why on it. You know, I'm trying to understand it, you know. And, and he said, that no, you're asking the wrong question. What you should be asking is how can the Father be glorified? So in a situation like that, instead of asking or saying, okay, it meant to be this way, so it is. I can say, okay, how can I find gratitude in this? What, what How can I see gratitude in this situation? Uh, and so when I say meant to be or that kind of thing, it kind of, uh, it attaches all these other things to it that I'm not sure of, but I do know that if I accept it right now like it is, I can find peace. It doesn't have to be perfect for me to be at peace about something. Which is how I I used to think, you know, I had to orchestrate life to give me peace and joy, right? And now I've learned that I orchestrate life. I have to accept. And once I accept, I had had nothing to do with it turning out any way good or bad or anything. It only had to do with me accepting it as it was in that moment and just letting it be. Uh, So, you know, I do see providence, though. In that, in my experience, I see, you know, one thing leads to another. Just like water runs downhill, always, if it's not being controlled by some other external force. It's always going to, you're never going to make it run uphill. You're never going to be surprised one day and it not drain down the pipe. You know, it's going to do that. Everything else, all other things being equal. In the same way, I think every detail of our lives works into something good. So I don't know if it's meant to be or if we just make the best decisions we can in the moment and they work out to something good. I don't know which it is. It really doesn't matter. I just know that it works into something good always. And that's been my experience all my life. And if I give things long enough, I'm going to see how that experience worked into something good. You know, I used to think I was bouncing around all the time when things happened. But when I look back and see a straight line from one to the next to the next to the next, uh, and I know it's going to work into something good, uh, I do know that from my experience. Uh, so that, that's how I look at that. It's a little different, but a lot the same. You know, a lot well,
0: the same. Well, you know what's funny, what's funny about that is that, uh, however we get to that point in understanding it, it, it's it's an interesting concept because the fact is we can't. Well, however we got there, we can't change the path. We can't change what happened. What happened, yep. happened. And when you go to, one of the advantages to going to a lot of meetings, you know, and for those of you that aren't going to meetings, whatever those meetings may be, Celebrate Recovery Dharma, A-A-N-A-G-A-S-A, whatever, whatever your uh, preferences, I recommend doing it because one of the reasons why you want to go is not just the community, but also seeing how recovery or non-recovery works. And what happens is the people that really struggle with recovery, and this is just Mike's opinion here, this is my assessment over the years, is that the people that keep dwelling on the they've not accepted the path, they've, they've not accepted the things that have happened in their life, um, thinking that if I keep dwelling on it, if I keep talking about it, if I keep um living in that whatever that moment is that problem is that somehow it's going to change it's not going to change what has happened has happened and what we need to do is move forward and move forward in our life because it's the um sort of that that repeating the trauma over and over and over in our lives it keeps us in that trauma and meanwhile it perpetuates our our sickness and we're only going to get well when we move forward and that kind of sounds like what you're talking about is it Am I it on is. track
1: with that? It is. Uh, and there's one book that really, I, I want to mention this book before I forget. Uh, it's, and it's not a recovery book. It's uh, David Hawkins, uh, The Pathway to Surrender. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it is an incredible book that is really the how-to for the first three steps. And that was where I started learning uh, about allowing myself to be with whatever emotions I'm having. If I'm having if I feel angry stop resisting it my when I resist those things increase so I learned to when I stopped resisting my anger and I just let myself be angry it went away almost immediately and it amazed me how well that worked because my anger continued when I was resisting being angry so I allowed myself to be angry for a minute and it went away immediately I was so surprised so when this was my first real, with my son, was the first real uh, death of someone close that I had to deal with uh, in my life. And I'm in my mid so I just have not ever had to deal with that, uh, especially someone that close, uh, a child never. Uh, and I just let myself grieve instead of resisting the grief. When I needed to, you know, I'd take a couple hours and sit and cry, you know, and just let myself grieve. And I learned that when those things come up to just let it happen. And that's all the gifts of recovery, Mike. I would not have learned that if I had not been on this path. And anyone that's having difficulty with the first three steps, I would really suggest Hawkins' book, uh, The Pathway to Surrender. So, uh, uh, it is an incredible book. And actually I have, I have links for that book and some other books that we use at buddyc.org if somebody has difficulty finding them. But yeah. uh, but that's an incredible book. It's I go through it with sponsees. Actually, we read it. That's one of the books we read after we finish the steps and the traditions. Is uh, one of the first books is Hawkins' book. Is one of the, and he's got several books, but the one the pathway to surrender is the one that we read. It. It's his experience learning surrender, and so
0: well, it's um, it's, it's, it's undeniable. Incredible. I know in my my experience, you know, everybody that is in long term recovery that I know has a fairly well developed. Spiritual program. And notice I said spiritual program, not necessarily religious. It could be, could be a religious program. I would I would say that I I kind of go more in that direction myself. But again, I I have my own personal belief systems and and it's worked for me <laughs> for the last 10 years. I've stayed right. sober the last 10 years to this point. And um, but you notice the one thing that we don't do, and, and you're not doing here, is we don't push our belief systems on anyone else. But what is undeniable though, is everybody in long term recovery has has developed some sort of spiritual program and it just gives you a deeper understanding of life the bigger uh, bigger picture of life and your purpose in this this world um that at least that's how i look at it is that how you look at it
1: it is and what i've learned to do is narrow that down to how can i be of help in this moment And how can I be of help in the next? Well, before we started the podcast, my first question to you was, you know, what do you need from me today? Because I I I tried to come with without an agenda so that we could, you know, so that I could give because different podcasts want different things, you know. And I said, hmm. I said, what do you want from me today? What can I do for you? And I try to approach every interaction that way. From you know, uh, when I'm driving. To when I you know any interaction with business or any personal interaction, action, I have learned that if I cater to you, it's it's like the old Zig Ziglar saying of, you know, if you help someone else get what they need, you'll get what you need, you yeah. know. And so uh, it it's just that way, and it's so simple, uh, and, and it really is not up to what we don't have to believe a particular thing. I think all those all those beliefs are like different paths going up the same mountain. And the further up the mountain we get, the closer those paths come together and the more similar they look, the closer, the further up the mountain we get. Starting out, they look totally different, you know, but then we start seeing, hmm, I start seeing God as being love when I may not have known that before. Or, or, you know, I start seeing if I'm reading the Zen Buddhist literature, all those Zen masters came back to compassion. They said, when you get rid of self, all that's left is compassion. I said, I see that. I see it because that's what I'm experiencing. You know, I don't want to, you know, I get rid of self. Uh, I don't want to, you know, go hurt someone. I want to be compassionate. <laughs> you know, it's just natural then, you know, and I was just in my way is the problem, to step out of the way and allow life to happen and just be there instead of thinking I've got to run the world because i don't and it it works fantastic i'm just i had a sponsor that taught me that and it it works incredibly you just get the right like you said the right people you need show up when it's time for them to be there yeah the right books the right everything uh i and i don't understand that
0: yeah
1: Um, uh but but it's incredible incredible.
0: it is and i and i'll tell you that when you meet somebody that's in recovery, you know, you. you when you're around meetings or just, just in life, I mean, even in the workplace, I've known this, and there's just a certain aura about people and the way that they handle the business and how they work, handle their daily lives. When I meet people that are in deep recovery, you know it. Conversely, when you are around people in recovery settings that truly are not, get, it's amazing, you can go to meetings, and I, I can watch people and the the people that relapse i see it coming you actually see it coming you know just based on how they talk what they do how they act how they behave you see it coming from a mile away and conversely somebody that's going to do well you see that as well and it's because they start exhibiting behaviors like what you're talking about and just the just what they talk about this subject matter of what they talk about change it's a profound change that's noticeable yes yes I agree. 100%. Now, and I'm pointing at myself first. I mean, until I had that profound change in my basic thinking about this world and my role in it, I that's when when I had that that seismic shift of thought. That's when things started happening for me in a positive way.
1: You know, and that's what the six and seventh steps do for me too. Is they uh, what I'm basic? What I'm really doing is love is changing. Because I have to choose to love, I have to choose to think about you before I'm changed, uh, and I think that's exhibited in all in most of the tools that we use in, with our uh, with all of our four-step inventory. If I have a fear, uh, I use page eighty-four in the Big Book, and and I uh, I pray for someone who has a fear. Uh, I think it's May 9th in the Daily Reflections that actually talks about that. A person in recovery had a fear of elevators and they had decided they were going to walk through their fear and they show up at the elevator and a lady's cowered in the corner afraid. They go over and comfort them and they got over their fear of elevators. So that idea in everything works. It's worked for me incredibly. And then I change when I choose. When I choose to help you, then that gets love in a place in my life and I I stand aside enough to where I can start changing myself. It wow. works every time, you know, uh, every time.
0: It does, it does. And so when people ask, is addiction a choice or is it a disease? Well, it's a little bit of both. And the, the disease part, we have no control over. Just like I, if I get cancer, I don't have control over that. If I have diabetes, if I have uh, a number of ailments, allergies, things like that, I don't have any control over that. But what we do have control over is what we do about it and making that choice like you said i can i can choose to stay in my sickness or i can choose to get well and if i choose to get well then it behooves me to listen to those that have walked that path and gotten well and then look at what they did to get well that's the choice exactly. part.
1: yeah i had a sponsee that did not uh could not get so he just kept drinking and uh i said i want you to call me when you're on your way home and let's Let's talk. And he was sincere. He just couldn't get it, so to speak. You know, he couldn't. He, he just he just did not know how to stop. And I asked him, I said, what speaks to you spiritually? I said, I think it's meetings, correct? He says, meeting every day, drinking or not. I want you in a meeting. I said, I don't care if you have to take Uber. I don't care what you do. I want you texting me at night with what meeting you went to that day. If I don't get a text from you, I'll assume you don't want me to be your sponsor anymore. I mean, it was down to that, you know, where I had to just kind of threaten him almost. And said, so, well, I really, I did. I, I told him, I said, you know, if you want me to be your sponsor, you're going to have to take the action that I suggest. And I want you in a meeting every day. He said, OK, I will. Drinking or not. I said, drinking or not, be in a meeting. So he started doing that within two weeks. He stayed sober and been sober ever since. And that was several mm. years ago. Uh, but if we can look at what speaks to us spiritually, because that's the change. It's not willpower or trying harder. It's what are we putting our effort toward? You know, are we putting our effort toward willpower, or are we putting our effort toward getting out of the way so it can be done for us? Um, and the latter, for me, always works.
0: Yeah, it's it's. This is not osmosis, and I, and I heard that. I know my no. sponsor said that early on. You know, it's not like you uh, go, to go to bed at night and put the big book underneath your pillow and magically information. <laughs> It'd
1: be nice
0: <laughs> if it worked that way, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> It'd be nice if I just said, let me put my hand on it and I'll absorb the information. No, you have to work. Actually, recovery is a lot of work. It's a hell of a lot of work. It's a lot of work, but it can be done. And how do I know that? Because we've proven that it can be done. And folks, it, life just gets better. It gets better. It really does. It's not going to be perfect, but it gets better. It can't not get better. You know, it's just like I, I love the analogy you said w- w- water goes downhill. It does. If you walk outside today and water's flowing uphill, you better, I think, uh, you know, the rapture is coming. Issue. You better <laughs> <laughs> You better get ready for any end times. Um, yes, you know, but yes. the thing is that, that recovery is that way. I've never met anyone. They said to me, "Hey, Mike, you know what? So I've been doing this recovery business, and guess what? The days, the day I got sober, my life has gotten crappier. I've not met that yes. person. I've no, not maybe. met that person. No, no not at all. No. And um, um, you know, I, the the funny thing is, is that if I could go back and drink, quote unquote, responsibly today, I wouldn't do it because I, I don't know about you, buddy, but I don't. I don't have time. I don't have time for it. At uh, it, it, it a minimum." Uh, when I was drinking it took time away you know drinking itself and then rec- I was never productive in the morning you know n- now i'm I'm hitting the road running from the minute I get up into the minute I go to bed I mean literally from the minute I get up into the minute I go to bed and I don't have time I don't have time for it
1: That's the reason they call uh, alcohol spirits is because it's a substitute.
0: Yeah, I've thought about that actually. I've talent. I've talked about that before on this sh- on this podcast. As a matter of fact, mm-hmm. it's interesting that we call alcohol spirits. Spirit a Spirit is a thing. It's an it's an it's like a living entity. And in fact, when when people get into early sobriety, you often hear people say, "I was married to the bottle." I, uh, my, my wife used to say, the bottle is your bride. I'm not your bride. The bottle is your bride. Mm -hmm. Again, we're Mm -hmm. talking about like a living thing. It's interesting that we don't refer to it as being inanimate. We talk about it being animate. It's weird. We don't do that with anything else.
1: Yeah. And it, and it was, it was so important. It was the most important thing in my life. I made sure I had alcohol regardless Mm -hmm. of what else I had. I had alcohol. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, if anyone wants to look at verses of the book, they can go to buddyc.org, and there's several verses there on the front page that they can read. There's, there's lots of good stuff there. If, um, I'll just read a couple real quick, if I can, mm-hmm. and then we'll, we can close. Mm-hmm. Um, let's see. Here's verse 14, um, uh, the way of sobriety. Try to look, and it cannot be seen. Try to hear, and it cannot be heard. Try to grasp, and it cannot be understood. These three blend together as one and are beyond comprehension. The aspects of sobriety that are revealed are not dazzling. The aspects of sobriety that are hidden are not obscure. Sobriety has no agenda other than to show you how to return to your original surrendered nature. The way of sobriety weaves through all of life. What is this way? When I help you, I am really helping me. I mean, that's the program. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and what I did was that was verse 14. So if anyone who's read the Tao Te Ching, they could take verse 14 from a number of translations and say, oh, I see what he's talking about there. Because that's that's where I, I just took it and put that through a lens of recovery. So uh, another good one that I really like is, Verse 50. Dying to Live is the title I put on this. All who have drawn a breath abide in one of these categories. About a third live cautious, uneventful lives. About a thir- third are self destructive, reckless, and overindulgent. About a third start out living a full life, then unknowingly are overtaken by fear. A small fraction find a way of living that frees them from the fear of death. How is this possible? They have already died.
0: Mm. Yeah. That know, is powerful I, stuff.
1: Yeah. I've got, i got three different meetings that are using this for text for their meeting, which is incredible. I never would have thought that they contacted me you know, one in Missouri that was starting. And there's one in India that's using it. And then I had a podcast that was using it, uh, and they've moved on to other texts now. That was uh, Mark with Recovered Cast. Uh, he used it for several months for text. Um, so I mean, it's just incredible. I, it's such a gift, and that's why you know I have the book in Amazon, so anybody can buy it. But but I also needed to make the PDF available because it was a gift to me. I've got to give it. You know, I can't. Yeah. I can't be stingy with this. I mean. How can I when it was a gift to me?
0: That's right. No, and that's right. that's important. That's important. And that's what we're doing here. That's what we're doing here on this podcast. Right. You know, getting this information out to as many people as we can because uh, addiction is just, it's, it's a pandemic. That is really the pandemic. Guys, you know, you understand that the number one cause of death for Americans between the age of 18 and 49 is addiction. That's the number mm. one cause of death. And we've got to do something about this. Because if we don't, then no one else will. So, Buddy, thank you so much for coming on the show. This has been a fascinating conversation. Thank, thank you, you so I've much. I've enjoyed it as well. Thanks. Um, one last time, give uh, for the listeners, let them know how they can get in touch with you. And uh, you'll close us out. Sure. Uh,
1: BuddyC.org. Uh, several resources there, including a nightly meeting that we started at the first of the uh, pandemic, uh, the Fourth Dimensioners, it's now has its own group conscience and seven nights a week at 9 p.m. Eastern, and the the links are all there in the resources for that. We've got all kinds of other resources there. Um, We've got a a daily devotion if you'd like it. All kinds of things at buddyc.org, and then uh, you can contact me from there if you can't afford a copy of the book or you would like a PDF of the book, which I like having those to search with um, you're welcome. Just email me from the website and you're welcome to, uh, I'll be happy to send you a copy.
0: Oh, that's fantastic. Folks, uh, reach out to Buddy C. I've really enjoyed this conversation and I'm sure that you got a lot out of this because I know I did. I know I got a lot of information out of this and, and that's what we do folks. That's what we do in recovery is, you know, we don't represent anyone uh, other than ourselves. I know we're talking about groups in here and we're quoting the big book and, 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 We're talking about books and things, but we don't represent these organizations. What we're doing, we're just talking about what has helped us to get well, because that's the most important thing. You find your own path, and you do uh, what you can to get well. And if we've said anything that doesn't apply to you or you don't agree with, then, then just discard it. But try to listen to information, take what works for you, and if you can use it for yourself and help others with that, then that's what we're going to do. And that's exactly what Buddy's doing here today, because that's what we do in recovery. We help ourselves along the way, and we help to impart the knowledge that we've gained to others as well. And, um, you know, folks, don't forget that we have been sponsored by FHE Health down there in Florida. And according to SAMHSA, first responders are 30% more likely to develop behavioral health conditions like PTSD. And FHE Health specializes and getting help for first responders and getting them better and getting them cleared for duty and find out more uh, from our good friends at FHE FHEHealth at FHEHealth.com and with that please visit our Facebook page which is Recovery is Possible and our website VanMeterWellnessSolutions.com and let me know how I am doing because I, I you know I'd love to hear from you and if there's a topic that you'd be interested in hearing about I'd love to hear from you so you guys take care of yourselves and we will talk with you next time Buddy C thank you very much for coming on the show thank you